Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Open our eyes and our ears as we come to you to give us insight, to give us discernment, to give us knowledge and wisdom, Father, that we might know of your ways, that we might walk in them, and that they might be light and to our path, that they might illuminate our being and those around us. We give you glory and praise in your son Yahushua's name. Amen. Okay, um, so I want to take a minute to let Ward, so when I sent this artwork that Ralphie had made to Ward, uh, he had sent me an email back, and so I have no way of giving him, so I want to, uh, to even come close to touching on what he shared with me about what this looked like, and so I want him to take a minute to share with you some of the details, and he can tell you uh, where you can find this. It's just not something someone dreamed up. So we like to go based on real evidence, right? So Ward, you want to share about this image? Okay, I would recommend, uh, again, the book uh, The World in the Bondage of Egypt by Chad Schaefer, which goes into great deal detail about this, more than I can ever go into now. Uh, However, this artwork, if you look at it, I sent back a picture to uh, Mark of the triumphal arch of Titus in Rome. Turn your mic up just a bit. We'll say the name of the book one more time. Uh, the book is the, the World in the Bondage of Egypt. The World in the Bondage of Egypt. By Chad Schaefer. Yeah. And if you look at that, that triumphal arch... It, w it symbolizes this picture because the, the two pillars are the, the walls. walls of water on each side. And the arch above in the triumphal arch is the arch of the cloud of Yahweh above. And this is a portal or a passageway that the Hebrews took to Yahweh, to relationship with him, and to the promised land. For deliverance. For deliverance. Okay, in... 30 B.C., Rome conquered Egypt. And in the ensuing years, they gradually learned about Egypt and its systems. And instead of destroying the systems and destroying Egypt, they absorbed them. They started taking them into their culture until it got to the point in, uh, you know, at the time that Jerusalem was sacked in 70, 71 uh, A.D., Titus, who was, uh, who was the son of the emperor at the time, was running those armies. He had fully embraced the Egyptian system. So the, in later years, when he, in uh, I believe it's AD 79, he became emperor, and he instituted the title of pharaoh for any Roman emperor from that point on, and he took on the title of emperor. So when he conquered Jerusalem, he brought back all of the treasure of Jerusalem and all of the treasure from the temple and many captives. And when they headed back to Rome, the Jews went over the water. First they went to Egypt, 
and then they went to Rome. So they went over the water, and then Titus set up a big triumphant, uh, a triumphant parade day. And the night before that parade, he and his generals spent the night at the base of Palatine Hill in the temple of Isis, an Egyptian god. That next day, when they had the parade, they paraded everything through what was called the Porta Triumphalis, a large gate portal that wasn't anywhere near the size of the Triumphal Arch, but it was large, and they actually had them pass through that portal in the opposite direction they went when they went through that portal, symbolizing the reversal of the Exodus and the defeat of Yahweh in their minds. They were reversing, and this was Titus having embraced the nine gods of Egypt, and he is intending to be the tenth god, the pharaoh. This was the Egyptian system and gods taking revenge on what happened at the Exodus. And his victory over the nation. Right, yeah. his victory. So, uh, so years later, in, 70, in, 70, in the year 79, they built this gigantic triumphant arch of Titus, and as you can look up pictures of it, it's inscribed with this whole thing. They have both a script and pictures engraved of the marching of the, of the captives through the, through the arch and along with all the treasure from the temple and from Jerusalem. And at the top of the portal on the top, there is what's called a quadrica, which is four horses and a chariot that Titus is on, and he has the gods of Rome kind of honoring him as a divinity, as this 10th god of Egypt. So there's, and there's way more to it than that. But that's just and and so like Ward has said, these, these arches have gone out everywhere, including here, representing what, what has taken place, so that now we didn't have to go to Egypt, Egypt came to us. Yes, he, Titus set the precedent that any conquering nation or group of nations that conquered another nation that had an arch could then incorporate the arches into their country. Yeah. And that's what's been going on for the last 2,000 years with all the wars and rumors of wars. It's been this transfer of power and control as these arches have spread through all the nations. It has put the other 69 groups of uh, divine council groups that were over the nations, put them, they then got absorbed into the group that's controlled by the nine gods of Egypt. So now the whole world is under one group that has absorbed all the other groups, the nine gods of Egypt. That is why you see this, they're putting in this huge drive to have, because they're controlling the whole world, they want one government for them, they want one religion for them, they want one money system for them, Every, they're, they're merging everything into one, these one systems for them. That's why you're seeing this huge drive to unify everything. Because think, there's one group controlling everything. They think they've won. Of course, we know there's another story that they're going to be surprised about. But this is, if you, if, please do your research and hunt it out because it's an amazing thing. And it shows, like it says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. The kingdoms of darkness is at war trying to do legal precedence to take over. Uh, and it's just not going to happen because the blood has been shed and the king has risen and he has all authority. And that's the end game for it all. 
So I'm sure there's things that they don't even understand about what legal precedents that Yahushua did when he died. But I want you all to stand. I have something I want to show you. Um, before I don't don't do it yet, Ward. I want to do a little explanation. So how many of you seen the 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 series, The Chosen? Yes. Okay. So I was watching uh, oh yesterday or this morning uh, a trailer for the season three that's going to be going in theaters this month. Now I was so excited and elated. I shouted, must have shouted 10 times at the, I mean, at the top of my voice. And I replayed this piece of this trailer probably 10 times, went around the house. Just, I felt like drawing swords to fight. I mean, it was just amazing. So I'm having you stand because when you see the end of this clip, and Ward, Ward, Ward knew what I was going to play before I even played it. He said, it has created a controversy in the churches because of what is said. And you're going to know it when you see it. And it is an amazing declaration that we should be so excited about and we should talk about to uh, people. When, and I don't care if YouTube gives me a, uh, for playing this. It is worth playing. So play this clip. Turn it up. A scourge of false prophecy must stop. Jesus. If you do not renounce your words, we will have no choice but to follow the law of Moses. I am the law of Moses. <laughs> Hallelujah! They're here for Jesus. Oh, can you imagine how significant that is for him to make a declaration that he is the Torah of Moses? Not just the word that everyone wants to give their own definition of. He's claiming, I am the law of Moses, the very thing that everybody thinks is done away with. Hallelujah. Glory be to the Most High. You can be seated. Oh, man, I tell you, what an exciting thing that is. <laughs> they think they're doing something by, we're going to have to judge you according to the Torah of Moses. Hey, bro, I am the Torah of Moses. Yes. So, so they have a problem there because if they said the Torah was done away with, then that means Yeshua was done away That's with. That's right. And they have no redeemer. This is the problem. Yeah, this is the problem. And so let me explain to you that when you have, hold on, hold on, Joe. So when you have a show that's doing something biblically correct, there are, they've got scholars figuring out exactly what's, what's the right way to say it. And so they're just presenting it in the correct biblical way that it should have been done. And of course, the church is going to have a problem with that because they've interpreted it a different way. And so it's so amazing. It, it's just, oh, I'll be playing that all weekend. It's just amazing. I, I just can't get over it. All right. So we're in Exodus. And uh, so we're going to talk about, oh, I want to share with this first. I was listening to this song, The Refiner. How many of you have heard the song, The Refiner? Okay. So if you know, it talks about uh, burn me beautiful, burn me lovely, burn me righteous, burn me holy. Just talking about the, the refiner being refined, uh, created, make me be a living sacrifice. And you talk, you know, the, the word talks about how he'll refine them through fire. So uh, I'm not so much saying that I don't agree with what they're saying. Here's what I'm asking. How does a person become righteous 
And how does the person become holy? I want to read to you Leviticus 11.44. It says, God states, For I am Yahweh your Elohim, and ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Later in 1 Peter 1.16, God reiterates, Be holy, for I am holy. So how is that done? How many of you read where it says uh, that uh, whenever the altar is, is, is built, Whatever touches the altar is holy. Here's what Romans 7.12 says. So then, the Torah is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Whoever touches, what did, what did Yahushua just say? I am the Torah of Moses. Whoever touches it becomes holy and righteous. Can I get an amen? It's awesome stuff. Okay, so we're going to talk about, okay, go ahead. This morning you and I were talking about uh, God is the master designer, and he has set everything in his design, and that includes the Torah. That is the, the it, standard. It's the standard. That we have to Amen. Obey. Amen. Love it. Okay, so we're going to talk about our main theme today is going to be about confidence and uncertainty. And it's built around, and I've got some other examples, but it's built around in our Torah portion. They come to the edge of the Red Sea, and they're all wondering, what do we do here? We got the walls of the mountains on each side, the enemy's behind us. There's nothing but ocean in front of us. What do we do? I mean, their, their feet are kind of staggering. They're like, what, what, what do we do? Uncertainty. So we're going to look first into our New Testament portion, which is uh, Philippians chapter 4. Okay, go ahead. But were you talking about that verse earlier? I was thinking Romans 12, 1 and 2. Why, I don't know. Thank Romans you. 12, 1 and 2. It talks about for the operator period, living sacrifice holy unto God. And that's what I saw in that verse you showed us. Yes, amen. <laughs> we can talk about it after if you still have questions. Yes. I want to be sure I get what you're saying correct. Okay. Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I have, or I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering. So this word blessed comes up, and so this word blessed is this uh, Greek word makeros. And in our community here, we like to break down the words of the scripture so that we know what is being said, so it's not left for just crazy interpretations. We want to get it down to what the the original languages we're saying. So this word blessed, there are two words commonly translated blessed in the Greek New Testament. One such word is this, our, our Greek word here, which appears 49 times and which our master used nine times in the Beatitudes. Many preachers and teachers come to this word, uh, say it means happy, and then just move on. But this word means much more. The word happy, in fact, comes from the Middle English hap, which in turn comes from the Old Norse, hap meaning good luck. First, our Greek word speaks of contentedness. 
The idea is an inward contentedness. That is, listen to this, a, a contentness that is not rooted and affected by circumstances. Now, it's interesting that we were talking about this earlier, that we cannot be a people that allow circumstances to motivate us in a way away from what God teaches us to do. In our story today in the Exodus, God told them what they were supposed to do, right? They're standing there going, what do we do? And he tells them, what are you crying out to me for? Move! They should have known that they march forward, faith and confidence, not timidness and, and lack of confidence. This is indeed the kind of happiness and contentedness that God desires for his children. A state of joy, well-being that does not depend upon physical, temporary circumstances. This certainly deepens the meaning of our master's words. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Second, our Greek word goes even deeper, as Greek scholar Spiros points out. To refer to possessing the favor of God, that state of being marked by fullness from God. As Romans 4, 7-8 declares, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom Yahweh will not impute sin, meaning transfer it where the, the punishment and the guilt will not remain on him. What contentedness and fullness that is. Third, deeper still, one who is blessed is one who becomes partaker of Elohim's nature through faith in Messiah through faith in the Torah of Moses. So Zodahites again refers that this Greek word blessed is equivalent to having Elohim's kingdom within your heart. And finally he adds that this word is the one who is in the world yet independent of the world and his satisfaction comes from Elohim, not from favorable circumstances. Once we understand that, we, can't, we don't get upset when it's not favorable or things aren't going the way we want it to go because we realize our happiness and our blessedness comes from above, not from what we see around us. So when things don't work out, when your spouse isn't doing what you want them to do or expect them to do, be happy and blessed because it doesn't come from them. It comes from the Most High. Amen? <laughs> Understanding this wonderful word enables us to read the Beatitudes and many other verses with a whole new understanding. How all this transcends mere happiness. In the next days, we'll examine two related words, hope and joy, which we hopefully we'll get in on next week. Moving on in our Philippians, verse 13, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Oh, how if they would have said that at the Red Sea. Instead of staggering and uh, wavering back and forth, what, 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 what do we do? What, what are we supposed to do here? Our strength comes through Him. This word confidence, it's the third basic attitude of prayer in, our, in Ephesians 3.12. The Greek word gives an idea of trust, confidence, and total persuasion. How many of you are totally persuaded that God's Torah is for you. Amen? Okay. How many of you are totally persuaded that the Messiah died for you and redeemed you from the curse? Amen? All these ideas are virtually or vitally important. 
in what are we to place our trust and confidence in? About what are we totally persuaded? We are totally persuaded that we can come to the Father, trust in Him to do His will, and be confident of the result. Note, this is not our will, but His will. Now, I find it imperative to let's do a definition real quick of what His will is. Proverbs 21.3 says, To do righteousness and justice is desired by Yahuwah more than sacrifice. The Greek word for righteousness means keeping the commands of God. So it's His will for us to do the commands, to do the Torah. That's coming to Messiah, who is? I am the Torah of Moses. Love it. Prayer is indeed a mystery that we do not understand, but it's also a mystery that we know works. Exactly how prayer works, we do not know. But we do know that Elohim uses it. He does something, or does something depend upon my praying for it? Nope. It depends upon the sovereignty of God. Does Elohim still use prayer? Yep. But I don't understand, you say. Neither do I. But Elohim does, and all we need to know is that it is all based upon His sovereignty, His glory, and His love for His children. He will work all the issues out if we keep the right focus. Amen. So this completes the warning from the last two studies. Boldness does not mean insolence. Access does not mean impetuous, impetuosity. And confidence does not mean arrogance. There is today, without a doubt, a lot of arrogant prayer. There may be there are many who twist verses, such as Philippians 4:13. I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. I can jump off that building. I can go and I can do this. I can eat that food. I can whatever. No, you better rethink things. Many bend the meaning of the verse to say, I can do anything I want because Messiah gives me the strength. When what, is pro what it proclaims is that we shall always be given the power to do what God's desire is for us. What's in His Word. What He's already said. Many today turn to this verse and others to prove their self-image teaching and their Christian success motivation philosophies. This is a church commentary, not mine, okay? But all that is nothing but humanistic arrogance with a Christian label pasted on it. Our trust and confidence must never lie in self. Rather, trust and confidence lies only in Messiah and the will of Him which is to do His command, to walk in His light. Let's look at something Abba showed me this week. Romans eleven twenty four. 24. So, if you're new, we talk about our identity here a lot, and that when the northern kingdom was given a divorce certificate in the prophets, um, they were dead to their sins, they were dead to their iniquity and transgressions, and they were kicked out of the kingdom. And uh, you look at Israel and, and uh, Judah, they're still waiting for the northern kingdom to come back because they know that he's coming back someday. And we believe that when Messiah came, he said his own words, I came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the northern kingdom. So we believe that he died for those people to take away that punishment of death because that's what was nailed to the cross. So in light of that, I want to read you this. 
Romans 11.24 says, For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Paul's argument is that if the hard thing, the thing contrary to nature, is the grafting of the wild branches into the cultivated olive has been accomplished, one should not find it difficult to believe that God will restore the broken off branches, Israel, of the cultivated olive to their former position. Since in tree culture, this would be impossible because of the deadness of the branches after they were broken off. They were dead, cut off. They had a death sentence. They were no longer part of the family. It's impossible to bring them back. Contrary to nature for this to happen. But yet, this, the way has been made contrary to nature. He's talking about contrary to nature here. So it's a beautiful thing. So I want to say to you, that, and I don't have time to go into today, but this is connected to the mixing of two seeds. Because when you take one seed and sow it next to the other, that's contrary to nature because then you have the one seed trying to now become part of the other, which is what this whole Monsanto's thing is about. So that's contrary to nature. The seed, the orange tree is supposed to be an orange tree, not half bred with something else. That's contrary to nature. So let me ask you a question. You have Messiah just declaring, as we know he says, I am the word, I am the light, I am the, I am the, the Torah become flesh. And we're supposed to come into Messiah. All believers believe that they've come into Messiah. How then do you realize how contrary to nature it would be to take a seed that doesn't know anything of God, that has been broken and cut off, and bring them into something that is of God. Unless they actually did know of God and are now being brought back in, as it says here, uh, their former position. So, if we're... A, and I'll give you one other aspect of that. So, if the church says that the law has been done away with, but yet we're coming into this family, how would God allow a lawless person to come into a lawful tree. How in the world could a lawless person come into a lawful God in his kingdom? That's mixing two seeds and it's contrary to nature. It cannot happen. God's not going to mix unrighteous seeds with holy seeds. He's going to bring everyone in that has made a decision to accept and become holy and righteous as he is then it's all the same, not mixing. So there's no way the other way could happen. So it's related to mixing of seeds. Okay. This word grafting, okay, the, the grafting into the tree, uh, into the, the, the tree, it's, it's to make a puncture from this word kentron to prick or sharp point, emphasizing the fact of the incision required in grafting. It means to insert by making a puncture or small opening and thus to engraft. Our hearts are hardened by 
iniquity and transgression and need to be pricked. It needs to be engraved by the word of truth that they might be convicted of sin, righteous, righteousness and the judgment to come. So when he says, I'm going to create a renewed covenant and I'm going to engrave my Torah on your heart, that's how you become changed and no longer sin, no longer unholy, but you become righteousness so that you can come in to the holy seat and not be mixed. Leviticus 19, 19 says this, you are to keep my statutes. And by the way, this is right after the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, God loves us so much that he's not going to bring you in unrighteousness into a righteous root, right? You keep my statutes, you are not to breed together two kinds of your cattle, and you're not to sow your field with two kinds of seed nor wear a garment upon you with two kinds of material mixed. Would he mix two people together of different beliefs? No, it's contrary to nature. It's contrary to who he is. He wouldn't mix two people of two beliefs. If your belief is contrary to his, you're not in the right tree. Amen? <laughs> you're, you're just not the right tree. You better rethink your theology. Okay, in our prophet portion is Judges chapter 5, and I saw something I want to show you. Judges chapter 5, verse 14 says, People of Ephraim wreaked vengeance on them in your brother, Benjamin's valley among your peoples. At my leading, Machir went down in search, and from Zebulun, what city's in Zebulun? It's up there. Huh? Nazareth. Is that where the master lived, Nazareth? So it says, From Zebulun, Yahuwah would fight for me among the mighty, and from there, Zebulun, with the scepter of him who prevails in leadership. You have a direct reference to the Messiah right here in Judges 5.14. Direct reference to the Messiah, who's the one with the scepter and who's going to prevail in leadership, and he's living in Zebulun at Nazareth. You only find it in the Greek. You won't find it in the English. The Greek makes this um, evident. And so in the, in the English, the, the Masoretic, it says, and from Zebulun, those who wield the staff of office. Ain't what it says in the Greek. whole different thing. So I want to read you what John chapter 8, 48 says. The Jews answered and said to Yehushua, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan? Why would they call him a Samaritan? Oh, that's where Nazareth is, is up there in Samaria. And you have a demon. Strictly speaking, a Samaritan would be, an, and this is the definition, a Samaritan would be an inhabitant of the city of Samaria, but the term was applied to all the people of the kingdom of Israel after the captivity of Israel in B.C. 721. And in our master's time, the name was applied to a peculiar people whose origin was in this manner of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Amazing stuff. So I just Judges 5.14 is another proof text of the coming Messiah and why he had to be from this area uh, at living in Nazareth. 
Interesting stuff from Samaria, from the people who had been kicked out and booted out. All right, moving on in Judges 5, verse 12. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and take away your captives, O son of Abinoam. So this word captive is actually, we look at it in, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, it's he leads the captivity captive. We talked about that uh, once before, but I wanted to touch on this again. So many, what does it mean to lead the captive captive? Well, what Ward just said happened in, at, at Rome when Titus, Mars, he led the captive captive through the arches. It has a significance. It's a legal thing that's done. It has a huge significance. So it says, many a Bible student has justifiably wondered what the odd phrase, he led captivity captive, means in Ephesians 4.8. The common teaching views captivity as referring to Old Testament saints who, though saved, were held in some sort of captivity. Supposedly then, Yehoshua went into Hades, retrieved them from their captivity, and took them to heaven. Such a teaching, however, is actually rooted in Roman Catholicism and that tradition and not Scripture, and doesn't even come close to the imagery of the phrase. The Greek word literally says, he led captive captivity, and the root word is to capture, and our word, the state of being captive, is a noun from this root word, a, a captive person. So the picture is rooted in the public triumphs of conquerors especially as celebrated by the Romans. Now, how, I didn't know Word was going to share that with me. This is what was led by me, by the Spirit, to present this. And he gave you an example of what Titus did when he brought the, the, uh, the Israelites and their, their, the, the artifacts from the, the tabernacle or the temple into Rome, signifying something very spiritual here. And so, if you know your master... Your Savior did the same thing, I believe, on the day that they're waving the omer. I believe that when they're waving the omer, when he's in the grave, he's down there telling the captives that, not Christians, but the demonic world that's in captivity, he's telling them, you're done. I'm the king, I have the authority, I'm the ruler now, I'm taking back, I'm revoking all of your rights, I'm revoking all that you think you've had, and I'm taking everything back, and I just purchased everybody that you thought you owned, I did it with my own blood, and it's done and it's sealed. And he led the captive captive. Now I don't know what Archie sent him through or what what thing that was done, but I guarantee you everyone in the, that was captive knew what was being done. Okay. The language clearly describes the conqueror who took them captives, lead them away in chains. So we find this same expression in the Tanakh in Judges 5.12 where Deborah praises the master for giving victory over Canaan. It says, Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, utter a song of praise. Barak, and lead thy captive, captivity captive. The idea is clear. You will now lead captive him who held you captive. The enemy who held you captive no longer has that authority over you. You now lead the, cap, the person who held you in captivity. You lead them captive because of what Messiah did on your behalf. Oh, man, that's so awesome. Also in Amos 1, 3 through 6, Elohim pronounces judgment on the nations around Israel because they had carried away captive 
the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. That is, the Philistines had handed over a large number of Israelites to the cruel Edomites. So, what is Paul saying? As one expositor puts it, it is a picture of Messiah Yahushua leading in his triumphal train the adversary and hell and sin and death, the great enemies that were against us and which held mankind in captivity for so long, the princes which had controlled that captivity are now being led captive themselves. The captors are now the captive, and they no longer have the authority in the reign. I want to read to you what Psalm 68, 18 says. You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. Who is he referring to? The Most High. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious, also that Yahweh Elohim may dwell there. And Isaiah 52, 2 says, Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck that the enemy has been leading you around like a captive slave. Get that chain off of you. Sin and death doesn't reign over you anymore. You've been freed by the blood of the Lamb, and you've been redeemed and restored back into His kingdom. Boy, that's worth shouting about. <laughs> this is all captive language. This is all language that's legal terms, things that we just didn't understand. God's opening our eyes and our mind to what, what's happened for us. What redemption means to us. Oh, man. So Paul goes even further and says that Messiah gave spiritual gifts to those who remain on earth. Reclaim your gifts. Take your spiritual gifts. Work them. Use them. Don't be just laying around not using the things that the master gave you. You're the bride. You've been adorned with ornaments. Use them. Put them on. Yes. Yes. Stand with me. We need to stand. Is there things that, that maybe those that are joining us today that are holding them captive in some capacity... Can we, as leadership, just join we've, with you? So and, we've been doing this, uh, and really we've been walking it out. It started with Donnie and Renee's baptism that the father... Donnie and Lisa. My, huh? Donnie and Lisa. Uh, Donnie and Lisa. What did I say, Donnie and Renee? <laughs> Donnie and Lisa, sorry. Um, when the, when, when I, we went down to the river and they immersed and did a mikvah, uh, I was... I had, the father had been dealing with me about this whole thing about... Um, renouncing and, and, and reclaiming what's ours and getting, getting over what we were captive over and what the, this, the, the gods of Egypt and the gods of Babylon and not letting them have that control and authority over us anymore. And I tell you, I believe, and we did it at Yom Kippur, so we need to do it again, and thanks for reminding me. So we'll do that now that we're talking about it. Do you have anything else you wanted to say? Just asking leadership to intercede as he prays for those that have things that are holding them captive, that they can be released today, yes. that they can walk in the authority that is given to them, that they can walk in the power Amen. and the anointing, that the Holy Spirit would come yes. upon them and anoint them, young people that have to deal with things that they're dealing with today, that they can be free and not held captive by those that are around them, but walk in the Spirit and the anointing of the Most High. Hey, hey, Polly, pray it. Yeah, you, 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 yeah, go ahead and pray it. Say it. 
Great and mighty God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we come before your throne room today, and we thank you, Father, for who you are and for who you have revealed to us who we are. We ask that you forgive us of our sins, iniquities, and transgressions, that you cleanse us, Father. We acknowledge the work that was done on the cross on our behalf. We acknowledge, Father, that we have done things knowingly and unknowingly that have been in disobedience to your word, to your instructions that you have given us to live by. And we're sorry that we have done that, Father. We ask for your forgiveness. Father, we acknowledge that there are things in our life that hold us captive, that do not allow us to walk in the anointing that you have provided, in the blessings that you have provided, in the good things that you have provided. And I pray, Father, for anyone here, anyone that may be joining us online, that these things, whatever comes to mind, as you take a few minutes and pause and think of these things that are holding you captive, Father, we renounce them, we rebuke them, and we cast them to the pit that was created for them. That we don't want these things that hold us captive any longer that we break these chains off of our neck, off of our arms, and off of our legs, and we will not be held captive any longer. Hallelujah. And in those places that we were held captive, Father, bring your word, bring your anointing, bring the Holy Spirit. Liberty. May your spirit dwell within us and upon us. May your word be strong in our minds and in our feet and in our hands, that we would walk out according to the plan that you have given us to yeah. live by, that your word would be the boundaries that surround us and encompass us, that your boundaries, that our boundaries are the word of God, and that we would stand boldly and in strength and with your anointing, Father, to be who we are as you have created us to be, among those, Father, that are searching, that are hungry, that are lost, that don't know where to go, that they would see the light of your word that reigns yes. strong within us. Yes. Continue, Mark, whatever is on your heart. Yes, Father, we thank you for the liberty that you've given us through the blood of the Lamb. The Father, that we are the ones now, we're, we're marching those who held us in captivity, we're marching them captive before us. They are the ones in chains. They are the ones in bonds. We are no longer there. We've been freed from the, the chained woman to the bride. We've been changed from status of bondage to the status of the bride that has been liberated by the bridegroom. We thank you for the work of Messiah who brought redemption to us. And as Tammy and Bob has shared with us, that now that the horse and rider has been thrown in the sea, as the adversary and the enemy has been thrown in the sea, that they will no longer be over us that they have finally been dealt a blow, that they we will not deal with sin and death again, that that is gone and it now has no authority over us. We glorify you and praise you that you've done the redemptive work, that you've raised us up, and we're no longer going to be in that way. We magnify you and glorify you in Yahushua's name. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. <laughs> So we're going to go into our Torah portion, <laughs> and we're going to start in verse 13, and if you have thoughts and comments, please share. It's a, oh, This is, again, Drosh style, so please share. So I'm just going to share some things, and I, I do want to uh, mention, because, you know, when 
I'm losing my. Let me do a switch here on my. When they had shared about this truth and reality of, you know, whenever you've been redeemed, because you've got to have redemption first before salvation, when you've been redeemed, that once the true redemption is solidified, the enemy that held you captive is defeated in a way that you're never going to see it again. And in today's word, I mean, this is, this is really bringing it home. And I like how Ralphie had emphasis on that area where it talks about it. So it's very, very important. So please comment uh, on it if you want. And it is very important because when we had death uh, and the curse over us was defeated by Messiah, we don't have to deal with that anymore. That's, it's done. We've been liberated. The, the, we, he has set the, the captives free. So uh, in verse 20, it says, And Yahweh went before them by day in a column of cloud to lead them by night and a column of fire by night to give them light, so to give them day and night. The column of cloud did not cease day, nor the column of fire by night before the people. And if you don't think that things are going to happen again the way they did in the Exodus, please let me read to you Isaiah verse chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Then, and this is talking about when the Messiah returns, then Yahweh shall. Notice it's a, a future tense, not a past tense word. Not did, but shall. Create over every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the esteemed holy people shall be a covering by the mighty one of Israel. It's going to happen again like it did here in our portion. Okay. So the one who is certain when there is uncertainty. So when we are uncertain, we're wish-washing, what do I do, what do I do? There is one who is certain about what should be done. And that's who we should search and we should get counsel from. Judges 4, 6 says, and I know I'm regressing back to our prophet portion, but it has implication here. Now, this is this portion we talk about Deborah. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, and I'm reading from the Greek, Behold, Yahweh the Elohe of Israel has commanded, Go, go, and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Then Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. Uh-oh, he's, he's uncertain. He's wavering here. What did the mighty one say? Go. Now he's going, wait. wait uh, if you'll go with me, Deborah, then I'll go. But if not, I'll stay back here and play tiddlywinks with the kiddies. Are you kidding me? He, he just heard her say, the mighty one says, go and do it and I'll deliver. And now he's, re, he's regressing. Well, but, if, but if you'll go, then I'll go, Deborah. He's uncertain. He's not thinking about the one who is certain, I will deliver them into your hands. She said, oh, is, is that the way you want it? Is that the way you want it? Well, guess what happens? 
I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours, man, on the journey that you're about to take. For Yahweh will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. So instead of you getting any glory in it, it's going to go into the hands of a woman because you faltered at the command of Yahuwah that he told you to go. And so now I'm going to give the glory and the deliverance of the enemy into the hand of a woman. And if you know the story, the guy ends up going into this woman's tent. And what happens? She takes a peg and drives it through his temple and kills him. And so therefore, just as God said, the victory went to the hand of the woman. So this word Sisera is of uncertain derivation. Uh, it's uh, the name of a Canaanitish king and of one of the Nethanim, Sisera. So in other words, this is a Canaanite king that this is coming against, all right? So this is very much like what's happening at the Red Sea. Uh, this Barak, he's just, man, he's just, I know you're saying that God said that, but man, Deborah, you're the judge, and if, if you'll go with us, I, I feel a lot more comfortable. Man, where's the boldness that God, he's given you the word, and you don't need anything else. The word is there. March forward, go forward in confidence and boldness in the Almighty and his word. Exodus 14, 15, Then Yahweh said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. The Hebrew word is veyesayu, and it means to pull out, to set out, to journey forward. And Moen writes, if we knew the Hebrew, we would see all that is implied. Nasa is a verb that describes moving something out, pulling up stakes, causing something to get out of the way. It is used for pulling up tent poles, carrying away stones, setting out on a journey. God is really telling Moses, get moving. Don't put your stakes in the ground here. Pull them up, pack up and leave. Take the next step forward and you'll see the glory of Elohim revealed to you in the deliverance of Israel. So when you, <laughs> hallelujah. So when you're wavering, what, what should I do? I mean, I mean, what, what, what am I going to do here? Uh, I, I don't know. There are some things, that, and let me just tell you, some people do this over plain, there are, there are things that God has already said that people are trying to decide, what should I do when he's already, it's already in the Word. I'll give you an example. Should I really eat? I mean, which food should I eat? The clean or the unclean? Is the pork really clean or unclean? Are you kidding me? God said, go and move forward. It's unclean. Only eat clean. Why do people waver over whether or not the Word of the Lord is true or not? Hallelujah. So we need to trust in him. And I'm going to share with you, I've shared it before. If, if Polly and I are praying and we're searching out something, Blanca's in the back, she's witness to this, and so are some, maybe some other people, I'm not sure who all was there. But, you know, we, if, there's, if, if, we're, if we don't see it here in the Word and, we're, and we don't have a peace and neither one of us have something about it, we cast a lot. What does the Scripture say? The lot cast in the lap is what? Just and true from who? A few people say, oh, but wait a minute. What if it's not what I want? What if the lot goes the way I really don't want it to go? Isn't that what Barak is saying here? You know, Man, if i got to go without you, Deborah, I'm not really sure I want to go. 
Because that's not, I wanted you to go. They're sitting here at the Red Sea. Man, it's all trapped up here. What do we do? Man, are we people of God or what? I'm going to tell you this. If I get a director from the Almighty, I like this word, get out of my way. I'm moving. And I'm moving, I'm moving with some confidence. And I'll tell you this. Whenever they, the men saw the angels on the mountain all around them, big giant 12-footers with big massive swords that were the length of that table in their hand, get out of my way. I'm running down the field and I'm just swinging. I can close my eyes. I don't care because I know who's fighting for me and with me. I don't have to lack confidence. I know that my God reigns. He's with me and I'm going to go forward. Even as a blind man, get out of my way. I'm going to fight. But I'm not going to be left up here on the hill while everyone's running down the hill. And you know what? A lot of believers are left up on the hill watching everybody else run down the hill to battle. Don't be that person. I hope I'm getting through to you today. Verse 4 says thus, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. and He will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am Yahuwah, and they did so. What does it mean to be honored? This plays out again. plays out in Ezekiel 28, 22, and it says, Thus says Yahuwah Elohe, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will be honored, I will be glorified in your midst. Then they will know that I am Yahuwah when I execute judgments in her, and I will manifest myself holiness in her. He's doing the same thing here to Zidon that he did to Pharaoh, and I'm going to tell you it's going to happen again. When he comes back and he does this to the nations that are around you, he's going to be honored and glorified in their midst, and he's going to execute judgments upon them as you are delivered from the nations that were trying to that are trying to put you into this one world system. Exodus 15.1 says, Then Moshe and the sons of Israel, this is the Greek, sang this song to Elohim and spoke, saying, Let us sing to Yahuwah, for gloriously he has glorified himself. Horse and rider has he thrown into the sea. Who was glorified whenever the Messiah was on the stake dying? He was. He was glorified. All glory goes to him, amen? Man, exciting stuff. I, I had wanted to, to hold back on reading from uh, the chapter 15 because we were going to go over it today. Because chapter 15, do you guys have something you want to share about today's portion? Give, this is your time. You have something to share. We've got time. If you look at the total... Torah portion of Beshalach when he sent it there's a chiastic structure because it's a picture of spiritual warfare mm. the beginning of the Torah portion starts with a battle with Pharaoh's army mm-hmm. so chiastic structure you have two opposites that lead to a point in the center so on one side you have the battle that starts with Pharaoh's army on the other side, it has it ends that Torah portion ends with the battle of with Amalek, Amalek people of licking up. Yep. On this side again with Pharaoh, it's the people ate matzah, which was earthly food. On this side, you work your way back 
it goes into the eating manna, the spiritual food. This all points to the very center, which yeah. is the crossing. Tell us the, tell us the central point. Crossing at the Red Sea. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation, which is instead of salvation in Hebrew, it is stand still and see the Yeshua of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more forever. Wow. And then the next verse, the Lord will fight for you, and you shall have your shalom, your peace. Wow. So you're saying that the Hebrews telling me that when we see Yeshua, we won't see the enemy anymore. So when we, when we see the master, the enemy of death, we don't see no more. Right. The fighting of the Pharaoh's army is a picture of the physical, the, the Satan, which is gone. Yeshua took care of that. The Amalek is what's in our mind between our ears. It's our flesh that we deal with every day. We have to fight our Amalek constantly. We fight that by reading the Word of God. Yes, yes. So what you're saying also then is, before we saw Messiah, we're eating the earthly food. But when we come and see the Messiah and He delivers us from the horse and the rider and the enemy, we start partaking of the heavenly food. Amen. Hallelujah to that. How about an amen and hallelujah? Thank you for that. There's a hand up over here. (laughs) That's so good. Father, thank you for the good feasting you're giving us today. So this passage in our our portion where, where Yah tells him to stand still, it reminded me of Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am Yahuwah. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. And I, I just see so much depth and connection. For one thing, it says be still. When I looked up be still in the, in the Hebrew, it's relaxed. It's trusting in the Father. It's being surrendered to him. In that moment when they were trembling with fear, they were not surrendered. And then the other part, the rest of it, where it talks about I'm exalted in the nations, I'm exalted in the earth, that's exactly what Yahuwah was showing them as, they were bringing, as he was bringing his people up from the land of Egypt. He was showing them, like, today, they will know that there is a God, and there is, they will know that I am the God who is rescuing up from the land of Egypt. Yes. I am the one who will rescue you. And they will be punished for the things that they did to my children. Yeah. It's like this is not this is not gonna do. So it's like he's saying, like, trust me, no relax in me, surrender to me, and they will know that I am Yahuwah, I am who I am, and I will be exalted in the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. So I, I wrote a note down here when uh, Alfonso was reading. So in, the, in his version, it said, you will not see the Egyptian again. Notice it uses the word the Egyptian. So at the defeat of the enemy with the master on the stake, we will not see the Egyptian gods again, which is what Paul is saying, deliverance from the, the false gods the Baal, the, the, the Molech, and the uh, uh, um, Isis, all of that that is running amok in our world today. 
we're not going to see that anymore because through the blood of the Lamb, that's defeated and we won't see it anymore. We won't see the God of the Egyptians anymore because the Messiah has defeated them for us. Amen? Hallelujah. Will you stand with me? Let's read this together. Helper and defender, and I'm reading you from the Greek. Helper and defender, he has become to me for deliverance. This is my God, and I will glorify him, my Father's Elohim. I will exalt him. Yahweh, when he shatters wars, Yahweh is his name. The chariots of Pharaoh and his host he threw into the sea. Choice riders, third-ranked officers, he drowned them in the sea. All of the high men of this world that are doing things in secret, he's going to throw them into the sea. With open sea, he covered them. They sank down into the depth like stone. Your right hand, O Yahweh, has been glorified in power. Your right hand, O Yahweh, crushed our enemies today. And in the abundance of your glory, you shattered the adversaries. Who's your adversary? Oh, you sent your anger and it consumed them like stubble. And through the breath of your wrath, the water separated. The waters were congealed like a wall. The waves were congealed in the midst of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. What does it say in the scripture in Ezekiel that God's going to say? Oh, look, they're at peace. They're in unwalled villages. Let's go and take a plunder. Exactly what they're saying here. I will destroy them with my dagger, with my hand shall dominate. You sent your breath, the sea covered them. They sank like dead uh, lead in violent waters. But who is like you among the gods, O Yahuwah? Who is like you glorified among holy ones? Awesome and glorious deeds and doing wonders. You extended your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You led by your righteousness this people of yours from whom you redeemed. You summoned up your power into your holy abode. Nations heard, became angry. Pang seized those dwelling among Philistia. Don't you know the world's going to be dreading this when he comes back? Oh, man. Then the leaders of Edom made haste, and rulers of the Moabites, trembling, seized them. All those inhabiting Canaan melted away. May fear and trembling fall upon them by the greatness of your arm. Let them be turned into stone until your people should pass by. O Yahweh, until this people of yours, whom you acquired, whom you purchased, should pass by. Lead them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in your prepared dwelling place that you made. O Yahweh, a holy precinct. O Yahweh, that your hands prepared. Wow. Yahweh ruling forever and ever and beyond. So, let us sing the Avinu together. Well, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Father, for the encouragement you gave us today. That you are the one who reigns. You are the one who redeems. You're the one who delivers. That we don't have to be wavering at like 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 people that are unconfident and, and have no certainty. Father, but we are your redeemed people who should march forward and not just take plant our stakes here, but should pull up our stakes and go forward in boldness and confidence in doing the things that you've asked, doing the things that you've told us, and not wavering between two opinions, not being undecisive. We are the redeemed of, of the, the mighty one of Israel. We are his people. We are his possession. 
And Father, you're showing us each week and each day that that's how we're to live. The enemy is defeated before us, and the one who is holy and righteous goes before us. Oh, thank you, Father, for the good words today. We glorify and magnify in Yahushua's name. Amen. Now we get to say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. online joining thing over here now remember you need to share that chosen clip with everybody you know where the master says i am the law of moses amen hallelujah shabbat shalom